Turn in your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 10 today. Good morning, my name is Micah. It's great to see you all here today. Got a big game coming up tonight. It's quite the matchup. You have everybody who was a fan of football before this year versus Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's going to come down to the wire. <laughs> How many of you are rooting for the 49ers? How many of you are rooting for the Chiefs? How many of you wish it was Baltimore versus Detroit? <laughs> oh, well, it could be worse. You could be stuck with an unpaid amateur who's preaching your sermon today. In this passage that we're about to read in the book of John, Jesus is being harassed by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. He had just healed a man on the Sabbath day back in the previous chapter in John chapter 9, and the Pharisees were furious because Jesus had broken their man-made law. The Pharisees thought very highly of themselves and all the stupid laws that they made up, but they thought very little of the God of the universe, Jesus. Let's read what Jesus has to say to them in John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 in John chapter 10. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by, his name, by their name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid, lays down his life for the sheep. I read these first 11 verses in John 10 for the purpose of context, but my sermon today is on just four words. I am the door. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the worship that we just were able to enjoy. Thank you for the worship team and the effort they put into leading us. Thank you now for the um, time that we have the privilege to look into your word and to look at how your son is the fulfillment of all of scripture. Father, may the name of Jesus be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 2017, our family spent several weeks in Europe. We went to some great places. We went to Paris and Rome and the Swiss Alps. We spent a lot of time in Serbia. When we got home from our trip, I grabbed both phones, mine and Suzanne, so that I could load all the pictures onto our computer. And as I went through the pictures on Suzanne's phone, I saw photo after photo of doors, unique doors, 
old doors, colorful doors. Everywhere we went, Suzanne would see a door that she thought was beautiful. So she started taking pictures of all of them. She was fascinated by the doors in Europe. You know, doors in America, Menards. <laughs> doors in Europe, medieval. They were incredible. You ever think about how many purposes a door has? Doors protect. They offer safety and security to the people inside. They're designed to keep danger out. That's why people living in unsafe areas are careful to have a secure door with a good lock. Doors also provide cover. They offer privacy. They hide things. That's why a husband and wife might make sure the door to their bedroom is closed. Because sometimes they have to talk. Doors provide cover. Doors separate one part of the house from another. How many of you have a room in your house that's a disaster? I mean, you'd be devastated if somebody actually saw what was in that room. So what do you do? You shut the door. Problem solved. I have two teenagers that still live in my house. Their bedrooms, sometimes all I can do is just shut the door. Separate the train wreck from the presentable. Doors bring comfort. If it's cold outside, shut the door. If it's too hot outside, shut the door. Because doors keep the elements out and the coziness in. Doors also add beauty. I know of two houses in Tremont that I think are completely ugly. But every time we drive by either one of those houses, Suzanne will say, I love that house. Because each of those houses has a bright red door. So here's the thought for any of you who live in a totally ugly house. Paint the door red. Instant beauty. A door serves many purposes. Jesus said, I am the door. And in the passage that we read in John 10, Jesus was giving us a picture of a shepherd. He is the shepherd. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You and I are the sheep. Not in a cuddly, cute sort of way, but in a stupid, vulnerable sort of way. Sheep are dumb. They're about the most susceptible animal on the planet. When faced with danger, sheep won't even run away. They'll just huddle up next to each other and let themselves be devoured. So the shepherds would build pens to protect the sheep. The sheep folds that were inside of the towns would often be large enough to enclose a lot of sheep from several different shepherds. And because the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd, when a specific shepherd came for his sheep, only the ones who recognized his voice would follow him. And since there was a gatekeeper who would only open the gate to the shepherd, a thief and a robber, they couldn't enter through the gate. They had to climb into the sheepfold another way. The thief and the robber that Jesus spoke of were the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were supposed to shepherd God's people, to lead them to God, but instead they stole them away from following God by having them focus on a bunch of man-made rules instead. Jesus is the shepherd. We are the sheep. The Pharisees are the thief and the robber. 
The sheepfolds weren't just in the towns. There were also sheepfolds out in the country. That allowed the shepherds to protect their sheep when they were out at pasture without having to bring them back into the town each evening. The countryside sheepfolds were simply a wall of rocks with a narrow opening for the sheep to enter and exit. And when the, sh- the shepherd, he would actually sleep at the entrance so that anyone or anything that wanted to enter the pen would have to go through him. The shepherd quite literally became the door to the sheepfold, guarding the sheep with his life, letting them out to pasture when it was safe, keeping them inside the pen when it wasn't. The only thing keeping the sheep from any predator that wanted the sheep was the shepherd himself who acted as the door to these sheepfolds out in the pasture. I am the door, Jesus said. He's not just the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He's the door itself protecting the sheep. God's word is full of doors that point to Jesus. Here in John 10, Jesus is the door that protects the sheep from being led astray by the false teaching of the Pharisees. Jesus is also the door that protects us from God's wrath. 2,500 years before Jesus proclaimed, I am the door. Back in the book of Genesis, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God told Noah, his follower, to build an ark. It was a massive ship designed to house two of each kind of land animal along with Noah and his family. And God gave detailed instructions to Noah for how he should build this ark, how big it should be, how many floors it should have, what kind of wood he should use, how he should seal the wood. God's details even included the door to the ark. It was to have one door on the side for them to enter. When Noah finished building this ark, God brought a pair of every kind of, each kind of uh, land animal for Noah to load onto the ship. And then God had Noah and his family enter the ark. And then God himself shut the door to the ark. Then God opened the floodgates, bringing rain for 40 days and 40 nights and turning the entire planet into an ocean. Every living creature that was not in the ark was destroyed. God wiped mankind off the face of the earth. Why? Because God is mean? Because God is holy. God's righteousness would not allow him to tolerate the wickedness of man anymore. The book of Psalms tells us that God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. In other words, this was not an unjust God destroying his creation. This was correct justice from a righteous judge. But Noah and his family were spared. They were not destroyed. They were safe inside the ark. Outside the ark, God's wrath was inescapable. But inside the ark, they were perfectly safe because the door to the ark had been firmly shut, 
protecting them from the wrath that all of us deserve. I am the door, Jesus said. Paul in the book of 1 Thessalonians tells us, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The door protects. The door also covers. A thousand years after Noah, God sent his prophet Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt. And every time Moses went to the Pharaoh of Egypt demanding that he let God's people go, Pharaoh refused. And so God would send plague upon plague to the Egyptians. This happened nine times. God gave Pharaoh nine chances to obey him. This is not three strikes and you're out. This is ten strikes and you're out. Because God is patient not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So finally, God had Moses instruct his people to take a lamb without blemish, no spots, no impurities. Their lamb had to be a year old in its prime of life. They were not to break any of its bones, but they were to carefully slaughter their spotless lamb in the afternoon, and they were to take the blood of the lamb and brush it onto the doorposts of their homes. Then God sent his tenth plague. That evening he killed the firstborn, both men and animals, of every household in all of Egypt, except for the households who had painted their doorposts in the blood. Those households God would pass over. God's people were perfectly safe behind the door that was covered in the blood of a spotless lamb. I am the door, Jesus said. Paul in the book of Ephesians wrote, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The book of Psalms says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The door covers. The door also leads to God's presence. 500 years after Moses, Solomon became king during a time of unprecedented peace and prosperity in Israel, thanks to his father David's conquests. This peace allowed Solomon to devote his time to building a temple, a permanent replacement to the temporary tabernacle that had long ago been neglected. And Solomon modeled this temple largely after the design of the tabernacle, only it was much larger and much more lavish. For example, the tabernacle had a bronze basin in the outer court. Solomon's temple had a sea the size of a small swimming pool, along with 10 bronze basins. The tabernacle had a golden lampstand in the holy place, the place designed only for the priests to enter. Solomon's temple had 10 golden lampstands in the holy place. As for the most holy place, the innermost room that was shaped as a cube, both the tabernacle 
and the temple housed the Ark of the Covenant there. The Ark of the Covenant was where God himself would dwell among the people. And in the tabernacle, it was surrounded by movable boards. In the temple, it was surrounded by permanent gold. Because our sin separates us from a holy God, God would not allow the people to come into his presence. So the most holy place was sealed off with a veil in the tabernacle. In Solomon's temple, it was sealed off with with a veil several inches thick. And behind the veil were two substantial doors made from olive wood and covered in gold. Only once a year would God allow a person to enter the most holy place, to enter into his presence. On the Day of Atonement, after the high priest had been ceremonially cleansed, he was allowed to pass behind the veil and open the doors that led to the very presence of God so that he could sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice before the Ark of the Covenant in order to atone for the sins of the people. And then the high priest would leave. He would shut the door behind him, once again separating the presence of holy God from sinful man. You guys remember what happened the very moment that Jesus died on the cross? The veil inside the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The veil that separated mankind from the presence of God was ripped away. The door was open. There was no longer any barrier keeping mankind from entering into the presence of God. I am the door, Jesus said. The book of Hebrews tells us we can have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. The door leads to God's presence. The door also gives life. In the passage we read earlier in John 10, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not long after saying that, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was struck and beaten by some of the very people that he had earlier spoken to when he said, I am the door. He was condemned to die by crucifixion for the unspeakable crime of claiming to be God. After several hours hanging on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Before they removed his body from the cross, the soldiers planned to break his legs in order to kill him off. But when they saw that Jesus was already dead, they pierced his side instead with a spear, causing one more final gush of blood and water to come out of his lifeless body. Then they laid Jesus in a tomb, and they rolled a massive stone door 
over the entrance to the tomb. And then they sealed the door to be permanently shut because they didn't want his disciples to come and steal his body away. But on the third day, when the women went to the grave early in the morning, they found that the massive stone door to the tomb, impossible to move, had simply been rolled away. And the angel sitting on top of this stone door, he said to the women, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. The body of their Messiah was no longer in the tomb because he was no longer dead. The door intended to lock in death had been rolled open. I am the door, Jesus said. Isaiah had earlier prophesied about Jesus, saying he will swallow up death forever. Paul in the book of Romans said, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. The door gives life. But the door is narrow. It is not wide. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, Enter by the narrow door, for the door is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the door is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This message doesn't sit well with the world. The world wants a wide door and an easy path to bring them to God. In fact, the world wants many wide doors and many easy paths so we can have options. You know, you find your way to God through one door. I'll find my way to God through another door. But all doors lead to God. That's what the world wants. But Jesus said, I am the door. He didn't say, I am a door. He didn't say, I am one of many doors. Pick whichever one works best for you. He said, I am the door. The one door through which a sinner can find forgiveness and salvation and the promise of eternal life in the presence of holy God. Jesus later in the book of John said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. There is no other door. And a lot of people in this world insist that they found other doors. I find everything that I was looking for through the door of Islam or through the door of Hindu meditation or through the door of philanthropy or through the door of humanism or through the door of wealth, or through the door of sexual desire, or through the door of alcohol. You name the door, if it's not Jesus, it's an entrance to hell. Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is a scary passage because these people actually believed they were Christians performing mighty works in Jesus' name. But they didn't enter through the narrow door. They entered through the door of their choosing good works, self-effort, social status. Those doors lead to hell. Those doors lead to hearing, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The only door that leads to eternal hope, eternal joy, eternal forgiveness in the presence of eternal God is Jesus. I am the door, Jesus said. The book of Acts says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The door is narrow. I have one final characteristic of the door. The door is open. The door is open today for all who would enter. It's not yet closed. In the book of Revelation, Jesus described himself to the church in Philadelphia saying, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. Jesus is the door. And right now, the door is open. And as an open door, Jesus welcomes all who will come to him. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Because Jesus isn't just the door. He's also the good shepherd who's knocking at the door. Many of us here have entered this door already. And for those of us who have done this, to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones, we gave up nothing. We gained everything. Some of you haven't crossed through this door. For some of you, maybe you just don't believe that Jesus is really the way. You just don't believe that he's the door. So you keep searching for other doors. Let me ask you, how are those other doors working out for you? Have you found what you're looking for in those other doors? Maybe it's time for you to surrender your life to the one true God who boldly claimed, I am the door. Some of you, your problem isn't that you don't believe. Your problem is that you just don't want to enter that door yet. Maybe at some point you'll do it, but not yet. I was that door. Or I was that person. When I was a teenager, I believed. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I just didn't want to enter that door yet. Until God finally brought me to a point where I couldn't resist him anymore. 
A couple days before Jesus was crucified, he told a story about 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to wait for the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and they brought oil for their lamps because they didn't know how much time they would have. The other five were foolish and they didn't bother to take oil. So when the lamps burnt out, they decided at the last minute to run into town to buy more oil. But while they were in town, the bridegroom arrived. And God's word says those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. I am the door, Jesus said. Like the door to the ark, Jesus is the door who protects you from God's righteous wrath against our sin. Like the Passover door, Jesus is the door who covers you with his shed blood. Like the temple door, Jesus is the door who leads you into the very presence of God. Like the door to the tomb, Jesus is the door who gives you life. Like the narrow door, Jesus is the only way. And like the door to the marriage feast, Jesus is the open door, but the door won't be open forever because when the bridegroom returns, the door will be shut. If you haven't entered through this door, do it. Come talk to me after the service. I'll be glad to pray with you. Or talk to the elder in the office. He would love to pray with you. Or talk to your parent or your friend. But ultimately, the one you need to talk to is Jesus. The one who said, I am the door. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for your son. We deserve your wrath. What you give us is your son who protects us from it. We deserve to have our sin exposed. What you give us is your son who covers us with his blood. We deserve to never be near your presence. You welcome us into your presence through the open door of your son, Jesus. Lord, we deserve no options. You gave us a door, and it is one narrow way. And Father, I thank you that your door is open, that the invitation goes out to all to repent, to put our faith in your Son, that he is the door of eternal life and eternal hope and eternal promise in your presence. Father, for those who have not entered through this door, I ask that you would do the same to them as you did to me back when I was a teenager. You wouldn't let me resist any longer. I ask that you would do that to those who do not yet know you. In your grace, in your mercy, I ask that you would bring them through the door to a place of surrender to your son that your son might be glorified in their lives. We love you, Lord God.
Thank you, Jesus, that you are the door. And it is in your precious name that we pray this. Amen.